We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we're going to break down the All-22 game tape on the loss to the Detroit Lions. The game, the Giants realistically should have won. Me going back and watching All-22 makes it even clearer to me. Disappointing loss. And we're also going to break down the trade for Leonard Williams, a bit of a surprise, even though Jake Lazor, the same man who called the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, honestly, in my opinion, the best reporter in the business. Also, by the way, gave some details about the Odell Beckham Jr. situation that people still don't know about. So you should listen to that interview if you can dig it up. But anyway, he called it, and the Giants have added a nice piece there. We're going to dive into that Giants decision uh, to lay low, as the legendary Jim James has sung, at the NFL trade deadline, because a lot of people were surprised with that decision as well. Some people thought the Giants would be sellers, big-time sellers. I think those people don't realize that when no teams are sellers, probably means the trade lines weren't as hot as people expected for this deadline based on recent previous seasons, not past previous seasons. A lot of deals got done before today, honestly. If a deal was going to get done, it was likely to get done before today. A deadline like this is not really pressing. Teams would have you know, made the deals earlier. They want to get these guys in, just like the Giants want to get Leonard Williams up to speed. And we'll dive into that. We'll wrap things up by diving into some questions from you. So let's start this off, Nick. With the news, the Giants' decision to trade for Leonard Williams. Currently, the lineman is actually only 25 years old, a former top six pick who I remember dev, uh, digging back to that draft. That was the Eric Flowers draft, 2015. I was banking on, I was hoping that he would fall to the Giants, Leonard Williams. He was starting to fall on draft day, which was a big surprise to a lot of analysts. Most people credited him or, you know, graded him out as the best player in that draft class, including Mike Mayock, who said, Williams was the best player, and I quote, Williams was the best player in the draft regardless of position. If you're the Jets, you had to take him. 
sky's the limit with this kid. He's stout against the run and as and athletic as he can be, I should say. Um, so this was a big pick for the Jets. They thought his his career hasn't gone exactly as expected with the Jets, at least for those who judge defensive linemen solely on their sack totals. And hopefully no longer those are the same people listening to this pod. But pressures are the name of the game, and he gets them, especially for the position he's played, especially when he's been in with Todd Bowles and not with Greg Williams this season. Um, he has earned borderline dominant run defense grades and above average pass rush grades from pro football focus his entire career. 2019 has been his worst year, um, but that's to be expected. Like I said, changing systems. So now, as he joins James Betcher's system, Nick, similar to what he excelled in with Todd Bowles, do you see what do you see? I should say from evaluating Williams' game tape and that you're either excited for or concerned about moving forward with the Giants. Just like you said, especially in the past when he was with Bowles, I think he needs a change of scenery. I think this is going to really benefit him. But like you said, he's stout against the run. He's still really strong, really large, big hands, long arms, things that the Giants put a high precedent on, things that Gettleman has put a high precedent on. He still has some quickness for a guy who's 300-plus pounds, and I think when you pair him with Dexter Lawrence and B.J. Hill and Tomlinson for this season, I feel like he can be maximized because we've seen him have success when he's paired with other people as well in the past with the Jets, but it was a system thing with the Jets. They bring in Greg Williams, who runs a totally different system than Todd Bowles. As we know, Todd Bowles, James Betcher have similar systems, and I believe that he can slot in here at 25 years old with a new fresh slate and utilize that quickness for a man of his size, utilize that strength at the point of attack, strong hands, big hands. He can gain inside positioning on these interior offensive linemen and control them with excellent grip strength. This is just going to force offenses to not be able to double team in certain situations, depending on how the Giants want to employ guys like Dexter Lawrence, BJ Hill, and Leonard Williams. This is a matchup game, football. It's a game of numbers as well. And when you have players like Williams with that strength and that quickness and players like Lawrence with his strength and quickness that we've seen this season, you can't block them with two players. That's going to create a lot of stress for the offense and the offense's ability to kind of run the football. And especially because Williams also can get after the passer, which we have seen and which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And I think there's two ways to really look at a trade like this. Um, You can look at it from the first standpoint that a lot of people have taken on Twitter, and that's, you know, what are the Giants doing trading for a player who is an impending free agent? But I think in that sense, what we've all, at least we all should come to realize with this franchise, for as long as Dave Gettleman is the general manager, they're going to be looking to improve their team every single day, regardless of what their record is, regardless of what fans think they should do based on their record, regardless of if fans think they should be sellers. And none of that matters. They want to improve their team. And what Gettleman saw was a defense that continues to struggle. What Gettleman might have also saw, like you mentioned in your point, is his defensive lineman, the lifeblood of his defense, Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, the two best players on this defense, in my opinion, two most consistent players, at least, without a doubt, at least this season so far, from what I've seen, getting double team, putting being I'm, I'm saying through these first eight games, getting double team, being put in spots, like you said, where they don't have those one on ones that they need to get to create pressure and to, you know, make things difficult for an opponent's passing game. And what you might see is inserting a guy like Leonard Williams, who, by the way, as you mentioned, Nick, has that wingspan. Leonard Williams was measured in uh, at the combine, six foot five, 300 pounds. That's uh, 89th percentile for height. 
His arm length, 34 and 5 inches, 90th percentile for hands uh, for arm length, 88th percentile for hand size, 10-yard split, 79th percentile, 40-yard dash, 497 at 500, uh, sorry, 302 pounds. That's 79th percentile. Even his 20-yard shuttle time, which is huge, and his three-cone, 74th, 60th percentile. He's a hell of an athlete with just like the same evaluation as Dexter Lawrence, had a very similar uh, mock draftable chart, a very similar high chart to Sorry, pie chart to Dexter Lawrence. And by that, I mean huge wingspan, big hand size, great length. And that's so important for the system. And what they're hoping for is that he involves into more of a pass rusher than he's been. But you know what? Honestly, he's been a pretty good pass rusher. At least the seasons with Todd Bowles. I mean, Pro Football Focus had him charted with Bowles. The 21 sacks, 63 quarterback hits, 122 hurries in four seasons running from the interior line. And like you said— not with a supporting cast, at least on the defensive line, like he's going to have with the Giants, in my opinion. I mean, they had guys like Mo Wilkerson in there and Sheldon Richardson, but those guys really weren't playing much motivated football for a lot of their Jets' career, and that's why both guys were let go, um, and by both guys really haven't done much in the NFL since. Um, but anyway, back to that. So he was getting pressure. I mean, he was he graded out top 10 his uh, second season, was the 19th best IDL, according to Pro Football Focus, these numbers, uh, in his first season. And then he's been kind of t- in that 30 range the past two seasons, but and that's kind of where we've gotten to with him. But, I mean, if you just look at the raw numbers, 21 sacks, 63 quarterbacks, has 122 hurries in four seasons. And then you factor in kind of Mayock's evaluation, Nick, which is true, which is, you know, he's going to be a downright stout run defender. And Pro Football Focus says since 2016, he has the fourth most run stops in the NFL behind Damian Harrison, Akeem Hicks, Linville Joseph. And that's it. And he also has the third most tackles for loss among interior defenders since 2016 behind Aaron Donald, Kawan Short. We're mentioning some of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. And then we're saying he's in that range as a run defender. He shows a lot more than people give him credit for as a pass rusher and that could evolve in better system, better talent around him. And he's 25 years old. So from that standpoint, Nick, I think it's an excellent trade. But I think, again, you have to factor in the fact that Gettleman is, you know, the direction of this team doesn't really seem to, you know, it's hard to say make sense, Nick, because I get what he's trying to do, improve the team. But at the same time, when you're a 2-6 and team and you're trading a third-round pick for an impending free agent, it's a little concerning. Now, Nick, I'm sure you think there is some advantage at least, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but is there at least some advantage to getting to see him in the system and then potentially re-signing him before free agency, uh, before he even gets there and other teams can negotiate? A lot of people on Twitter are coming out asking and saying like, oh, is he going to play nose tech? Is this going to switch Dexter Lawrence to be a nose tech? And one thing I just wanted to make clear on the podcast, and I know you know this, Dan, the Giants don't employ a strict nose tech or a strict three tech or anything like that. They rotate their bodies up front and they keep their guys fresh. And Lawrence... He plays the one tech in certain situations, and he plays the three tech in others, and it's not always contextualized by the down and the distance. But I think adding a guy like Leonard Williams, it's not a bad decision at all by Gettleman, and I don't understand why so many people got in an upheaval about this. I mean, I think it's a high upside move by Dave Gettleman. They're adding a 25-year-old player, as we said, and he had all that success with Bowles. Like he said, 21 sacks, 63 hits, 122 hurries, had 206 pressures from 15 to 2018. The guy can get after the passer, thrived in the past with big bodies next to him, snacks his rookie season, had McClendon after that, and he's going to be in this rotation. And you know Dave Gettleman loves that 90 percentile arm length and those 88 percentile 
almost 11-inch hands. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. He still has that quickness, shows some lower body flexion, which we know Gettleman loves his hips, especially with those big guys. And also, by all accounts, he's a high-character guy. And that's something the Giants put a lot of stock in. So I believe adding him to this rotation is just going to be a benefit. I do understand the concern with the third-round pick. Yeah, Nick, and you also have to factor in the fact that, listen— if the Giants do re-sign him, which they're going to have first dibs on, 25-year-old hits the market, teams are going to be interested in him. Um, he, They're, they're going to believe, and I'll, we'll get to that in one other reason why in a second, but it's a guy who would have hit the market and the Giants would have had to negotiate against other teams instead. They can negotiate first with him, and more importantly, if they do re-sign him, it won't count against their common story pick formula because he will be have he will be just a re-signed player. So then the Giants will have a chance to get another draft pick next season, depending on how they attack free agency. And I know everybody thinks they're going to be these big time buyers in free agency, but there's a chance that the Giants can either sign cut players for big contracts or trade like they have pretty much shown they've been willing to do for bigger contracts because they're going to have the cap space to be able to do it. And I would not put it past Gettleman to trade for another veteran. He's done it for Alec Ogletree. He's gone the opposite way with JPP. Now he's taking on a young talent. He has to, he's about to have to pay in Leonard Williams. So he's not afraid to do it that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if the, the decision to trade for him now will allow them, in a sense, to re-sign him and avoid having to lose that potential compensatory pick in the 2021 draft. But that is all, you know, down the line. Really, more importantly here, I think that the Giants are hoping that a 25-year-old who was viewed as the best player in the 2015 draft has been dominated against the run by all pro football focuses and metrics, and I trust them on that for sure. They have just, I mean, I'm not talking just about grades. I'm talking about literally raw stats, run stops, and tackles for loss. But in addition to that, has created the pressures that we talked about, all those stats. But more importantly, I think the hope here is that he wasn't really able to break out with the Jets. It's a team where, you know, I mean, he's coming from, like like Nick said, he was USC's most valuable player, selected by them in 2014. You know, he is the team captain. He's the guy that, you know, the team, his teammates looked up to him. And he was, everyone knows, I mean, he's has a pretty well document, documented history as a really good off the field player, really good locker room leader. But it's kind of hard to be a leader, and it's kind of hard to step up when you're on a Jets team that has consistently, for the last, you know, his entire career there, been extremely disappointing. We're talking really bad. Season's over before they began. And I know the Giants fans are now starting to experience that a little bit. But the hope, at least from Gettleman, is that he's working towards erasing that with Daniel Jones, with the improvements they've made on the offensive side of the ball. Now, hopefully, a guy who can really help turn things around on the defensive side of the ball. So all that, to me, is good, Nick. Like I said, there's pros and cons to this. Gettleman sees a guy. He wants a guy. The value might not be there. Um, you know, he maybe he could have leveraged it against something, but it's hard to say because we really don't know negotiations that Jets had with any other teams or anything like that. Um, or if, you know, a team would have jumped in today before the deadline and made an offer similar in the end, in Nick, it's still a third round pick, you know, Mohamed Sanu moved for a second round pick and the Giants moved Jason Pierre Paul with a ridiculously bad contract for a third round pick. So these type of things happen. This is kind of the going price there. So I don't think anything crazy there, but I do want to know exactly where you feel what you feel at least about you know his first interview on giants.com where he said he thinks he's best suited at the three technique position um do you think that that's going to kind of make that do you think i'll ask it this way nick do you think part of the reason they made this deal is because they want to have more pressure from the nose position and they believe that they haven't gotten that more of a push with tomlinson there but by by the potential of moving lawrence there to the nose they'll be able to kind of get more pressure not only from the nose but also then from the three tech with um williams there instead of lawrence 
I think it's uh, just trying to catch lightning in a bottle, and I think they're going to mismatch use Lawrence at the one a lot, but I don't think they're just going to do that every time. I think just putting Williams in that interior defensive line with Dexter Lawrence creates two young, very strong players who can win one-on-one matchups and get after the passer, get upfield pressure, upfield rush, and attack. And I think Gettleman said this is going to be eight-game rental, essentially. I think it's a high upside move from Dave Gettleman, and hopefully they can get Leonard Williams back to the Leonard Williams prior to Greg Williams and this new regime coming in. I mean, we don't know what was going on with the New York Jets. You bring in Greg Williams, you bring in Adam Gase, you draft Quentin Williams, who's going to more than likely take your job. We don't know how he was treated in that building to lead to him not being valued this season, not playing up to the level that Jets fans have seen in the past. So I'm do love the fact that the Giants were able to get a 25-year-old for third-round pick. If it all ends up panning out, this third-round pick's not going to matter. Would I have liked it to be something different? Maybe not give up a third? Of course, but didn't materialize that way. Now let's see if we can get the most out of Leonard Williams and pair him with this excellent young core of defensive linemen with B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence, and Tomlinson for now. Leonard Williams ends up working out with the Giants. Tomlinson more than likely will not be there because he's not one of their guys, quote-unquote, for this current regime. We've seen that happen in the past, but Williams and Dexter, BJ, if you can build with that, see how it kind of unfolds throughout time with getting after the passer, stopping the run, and hopefully through this eight games, he can prove that he can do that. No doubt, Nick. And I mean, listen, fail safe. Sure, there is a fail safe. If, you know, Leonard Williams, they they get they now get the, you know, eight game trial with Williams, which they feel is a strong sample size. And if it doesn't work out, and if I mean, there's there's a lot of contingencies in this potential failsafe plan, but they also would need to not be big spenders in free agency. And if that if that does happen and they have a similar free agency to this year, but they lose Leonard Williams to a big deal to somebody else, they'll get a third round pick back. So in a sense, they'll kind of only really move, be moving 20, 25 picks down plus a fifth rounder for eight game trial for a player who they believe could be part of their future. But in all likelihood, I think that they know what they got, what they're going to get in him. And he will be re-signed by the Giants. Um, and now you're looking at a defensive line in a 3-4 defense once they made the change over to Betcher. Like you said, Tomlinson, four, they drafted him, re-drafted him. 4-3 guy. They liked him in the nose in a 4-3. Um, or I guess it's maybe the one tech, technically. Whatever it was in in that old defense they had there with Spags. But, you know, that was that was the old Giants. And I don't think they believe Tomlinson is a fit for this new scheme. So I think that's part of it. And for this year, at least, though, Nick, I am interested to hear how you think it will go down because just take last week for example the Giants didn't have that many snaps for the interior defensive line BJ Hill was the Giants highest grade defender and he only played 28 of 62 snaps Dalvin played 34 of 62 Dexter Lawrence only 39 of 62 snaps and that's against a Lions team that used the second tight end on 22 snaps uh, that used 12 personnel when if you look back at that Cardinals game the numbers are you know even more uh, kind of in that direction of so from that standpoint, how does, you know, Williams fit into a defensive line group with three players playing that amount of snaps and a defensive system that uses nickel, you know, with only two of these guys for most of this for, you know, 70, 80 percent of the snaps? 
That's something that I've been thinking about since the trade went down. RJ McIntosh, you're never going to see him on the field. Wilson, you're more than likely not going to see him on the field whatsoever. It's going to be the BJ Hill, Lawrence, Williams, and Tomlinson show once Williams is up to speed because the Giants are, they love this nickel package. They bring in Dale Buchanan. He's going to play that money backer that we've heard so much about. And the Giants do love to employ this. It's a lot of defensive backs on the field to kind of help with the speed and the man coverage that they do run. So they usually only have two big linemen on the field. As most of the NFL, they're predominantly a nickel defense. And it's probably going to be Tomlinson and B.J. Hill that might see a little bit less, but they're going to hopefully try to rotate and get all these guys. But this is also when Williams is up to speed with everything. It's probably not going to happen this week. Maybe not even the next week, but the week after, depending on how he progresses in this system, I do expect to see him slightly below Dexter Lawrence's snap share, but still up there high because they want to see him in this system with the reps that he's going to get to see if they want to resign him. Yeah, no doubt. And time will tell when it comes to that, and we'll see what happens with that defensive line group. But I'm interested to see how it all shakes out there because I do believe that you know they're going to get Williams up to speed pretty fast since he's had experience, like we said, with um, Todd Bowles and similar style defense. But, Nick, let's wrap up the trade deadline for the Giants. A little bit of a rapid-fire session. We'll give our, we'll both give answers to these questions, um, and it's basically going to be, should the Giants have traded? So let's start. Should the Giants have traded Nate Solder? No, the development of Daniel Jones is more important, and you weren't going to get a first or a haul for Nate Solder. Yeah, that's exactly right. The fans who want to trade Nate Solder don't even understand how bad things would be if they had Giants had to promote Chad Slade or Eric Smith or to, to this starting left tackle position. Um, you know, Nate Solder may blow three, four, five, six snaps a game. These guys will blow 20 to 25. These guys will derail entire game plans. And nobody, you know, who that's just no good for a, for a rookie quarterback. How about Janoris Jenkins? doesn't seem like a lot of people were biting. And like you said before, man, I mean, there weren't a lot of trades because not a lot of people were willing to trade. And I don't think getting rid of Jack Rabbit for a six-round pick really does anybody any good, especially if these young guys are not ready. Sort of an indictment on their development as of right now because you do not see them on the field. James Betcher thought that these guys were ready. They would be out there and they would be getting these valuable reps, but they're not. And Jack Rabbit, player who's not going to be on the team next year, is getting those reps because he is the one that can actually execute at a moderate level because we're not sure if any of those other defensive backs can right now. Yeah, and Janoris Jenkins was one of the Giants' highest-graded players in their in their loss to the Lions. I mean, he was the highest-graded corner by far. And as we'll get to in the All-22, DeAndre Baker made some mistakes that Jenkins simply didn't make in this game, uh, some bigger ones. So, I mean, yeah, listen— Anyone who comes at me and says, and and I think they could they should have traded him if they could have got a fourth. I'm gonna say or better, closer for me. It's me. It's closer to a third. I really, but a fourth would have been fine with. Um, for those who are saying a fifth, and those it's the same people who are saying, but the Giants got Ryan Connolly and Darius Slate in the fifth. Don't say that because you're the same people who are bashing Gettleman and calling him as bad as Jerry Reese. I mean, listen, the, I don't want to get into that again, but <laughs> I don't want to get into the Jerry Reese stuff. But listen, the Giants found one decent fifth rounder and a good one Kevin Boss in Reese's entire tenure so if you want to go by that just know that finding fifth rounders is not some kind of like thing you can just do every year and Dave Gettleman is not he's a pretty good uh, talent evaluator in the draft I hope you guys can at least give him that but he's not you know he's not a magician he's not going to find fifth round contributors like Ryan Connolly and Darius Slayton every single draft class but anyway how about Alec Ogletree takes two to tango You wanted Alec Ogletree, and what were you going to get for him? The linebacker position is already depleted. 
of talent, yeah. a lot of injuries and everything. So, I mean, I don't know what, what Giants fans wanted because it didn't seem like they were too detangled there. Yeah, nobody was trading for Alec Ogletree at this deadline. That was a pipe dream. Um, nobody was – I mean, his contract, just like Jenkins, will be easy to get out of this offseason with minimal dead cap hit, so it's fine. The Giants are going to get that cap back regardless. But And teams you know, could have traded him for that reason, but he's not playing high, at a high level right now. And sadly, the Giants' defense would be even worse without him, which is crazy to say considering the level of play he's at. But he does do a good job of rallying sideline to sideline on underneath passes, and he does an even better job of getting the defense – in position which you know you take for granted until you watch until you watch that vikings all 22 because i would you know anyone who has all 22 and hasn't watched that game and is bashing alec ogletree i'd ask you to watch that game please and tell me what it was like watching those two inside linebackers in that game including nate stupar who played more snaps than one one snap on defense is more than he should have ever played in the nfl but he played a whole lot of them how about evan ingram no i mean i think evan ingram is a building block of this offense so i i really did not want to trade him if I could have got a one for Ingram, Nick, I would have taken it. Um, there's flashes with Ingram. There's things I like a lot about him. I want him to be a building block of this offense. But, you know, there's times where his blocking is just not up to par. And I don't think it's an effort problem. I think it's a size problem. And there's times where he just isn't getting good jump off the snap, I guess I would say, or creating the separation I expect him to when I watch the All-22. And of course, these times always happen after an injury. They're happening now because he had that MCL injury or whatever it was. They came back from it only one week. It's clearly not fine. I mean, he's clearly has an issue there. And last year, he had he had the, he had the injury where he got taken out on a low hit to the Texans, tried to come back, re-injured his hamstring, was really never the same, played well the last four games, but and and finally got there. But again, so the injuries are, are a factor, though, Nick. I mean, at this point, if you're giving me a first-round pick for somebody who's getting to the end of that rookie contract and is going to want to get paid big, big, big money um, based on the position and how scarce it is to find tight end talent, I would not totally balk at it, Nick, uh, mostly because of his size, I guess I should say, and his frame. I just, you know, I just don't know if it's – it's tough to say because when he's on, he's on. And he's a building block for Daniel Jones. But the injuries play a role. So I guess for me, it would have been a one only. Uh, how about Golden Tate? With Ingram, though, yeah, one, that's a different story. But O.J. Howard's not garnering a lot of interest with a one. I didn't really think a lot of people were digging would you for you O.J. Howard or Evan Ingram? He's being O.J. Howard's being a little bit misused. For me, it's not a question. I think O.J. Howard is a much <laughs> better blocker and adds such a different level to that side. Not for that – yeah, no, I, I think O.J. Howard – I think I would have to go with O.J. Howard as much as I do appreciate Evan Ingram. I would trade O.J. I would trade Ingram in a pick for O.J. Howard. Uh, I wanted O.J. Howard in that draft. Um, and from what I've seen so far, I mean, yeah, he hasn't had a good year from a statistics standpoint because Jameis Winston is is a terrible quarterback and who has zero chemistry with him for some reason and can't utilize him. But he is he can be, in my opinion, one of the best tight ends in the NFL uh, based on his size, frame, blocking and receiving ability that gets completely underutilized. So. I mean, it is what it is there, but if OJ, yeah, like you said, I mean, you kind of pin- pinpointed there with the fact that, you know, OJ, tra- OJ Howard's trademark, it kind of gives you a good glimpse of what it could have been for Ingram, and that's, you know, not what not what the Giants would have taken. How about Golden Tate? I like Golden Tate's development with this rookie quarterback, so unless you were giving, again, like a two or something like that for Golden Tate, which is unrealistic, no. Yeah. You know, people go crazy on us, Nick, for this. It's so funny. Some Giants fans would think this is the worst take, but I'm completely with you, From especially from watching these past two games on All-22. I mean, Golden Tate is one of the Giants' best players on the field. It's simple. Just watch the games. He is easily one of the best players right now that they have. 
Um, and I think, like you said, when you have a quarterback, it's important to not keep rotating in these receivers because rapport is so important. Chemistry on the field for a receiver and quarterback is so undervalued by fans and I guess by whoever. Um, and he's developing that with Daniel Jones, Golden Tate, that is. And he's also playing really good football. So I'll pay the money. I'll pay the cap. I don't care about the age. And I would have needed a two, like you said. Definitely not a three. Okay, Nick, before we dive into the All-22 analysis, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave, it really hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I personally love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide, all at that low price that we all love. So please do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. You may be thinking, what is so special about Harry's? Well, it's not just the quality, the durable blades, all at a very fair price, which is just $2 per blade, but blades will be refilled and delivered directly to your door on your schedule, with or without a subscription. Really, there's no risk to trying this out. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know, and they'll give you a full refund. So please, listeners of my show, can redeem their Harry's trial at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with alloy to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So please go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. The holiday rush is coming. And if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. Please, no matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal at ShipStation. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Please take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code, BLUE 
to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. Okay, Nick, let's dive into the All-22 of the game. Are you as excited about Daniel Jones' performance as I am after watching this on the All-22? I thought he was more decisive in his reads. The ball placement was what stood out, especially watching guys like Mason Rudolph, Matt Moore, and Baker Mayfield in the primetime and 4 p.m. slots and comparing them to what I saw from Jones. I thought he processed much faster than he had at least in the past two weeks with the Vikings and Cardinals. I thought he located the one-on-ones and gave his wide receivers a chance to make plays 50-50 balls. And that's something we haven't seen in a while, to be honest, from this Giants passing offense. And to me, it's all I can ask for from a rookie quarterback. What's your takeaway, and what are some of the plays that maybe stood out to you? It's funny that you mentioned Rudolph because I was actually watching that game as Booger was droning on about some nonsense. And I leaned over to a buddy who happened to be a Steelers fan, and I said (laughs) – It gives me such a warm and fuzzy feeling seeing Jones play when juxtaposed with other young quarterbacks, mainly because of the placement that you just brought up. That placement of the ball is usually with Jones on point, albeit Jones has missed some throws in the past throughout the season, including the one to Barkley in the flat towards the end of the game. But they went right back to a similar look on the next play for that touchdown to Saquon Barkley. But man, we saw his placement effective sliding in the pocket while keeping his eyes downfield and ability to go through progressions and ability to look off the safety and throw a perfectly placed back shoulder ball in a tight window all on display against the Lions, man. The game started rocky for him, too. I mean, not necessarily due to his fault, but because of that delayed blitz that resulted in the first Detroit touchdown, you know, the defensive fumble pickup every week seems like DJ ends up in some sort of bad game script or bad situation. He ends up battling through, goes down 14-0, and leads a 10-play, 88-yard drive for the first touchdown play to Slayton. And that's, again, this is on the road, hostile environment. And the next drive was an 8-play, 55-yard drive where the Giants were throwing the ball a lot on that specific drive, which led to Slayton's second touchdown. The things seemed to be working on that drive, all cylinders, man, All cylinders were working on that drive. Offensive line gave good protection. DJ was confident on point with his throws. It's really, really nice to see. And even in some of those late drives that didn't even yield points, the one before the Galladay fumble on the second and three, that three-by-two look, the Giants ran a levels concept to the three-receiver side, but it was the number three that was running the corner route, which happened to be Cody Latimer. And Daniel Jones put the ball right there. Latimer reached his hand out and made that catch. That throw was from the far hash. Yep. Daniel Jones showed great velocity, amazing placement, 18-yard gain there. I mean, I just like what I see. I look around the league. I see a lot of other franchise quarterbacks or franchises that would just love to have this young quarterback. This young quarterback showing a lot of traits, showed it on Sunday. And, again, it's just more progression for Daniel. And I was really excited when that game ended. Yeah, I mean, when I rewatched it on the All-22, I was even more excited for his development than I was even on the initial watch, Nick. And, you know, I at some point, we're getting, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I will get to the point where I'll have to admit I was wrong on Jones because I didn't have him as that high of a prospect um, when I evaluated him at Duke. And once he went to the Giants and I kind of figured how he might fit with the Giants, and I kind of started to really dive a little deeper into that Duke, into his Duke games. And, of course, like when it comes to evaluating these college quarterbacks, it's almost impossible to get to all 22. I'll let you guys know that right now. It's a little secret. So we're all looking at the broadcast angle with these guys. So it's a different game. And I'm not exactly seeing the reads the way I'm seeing it now. But 
part of it is, you know, a lot of people banged, banged him for that for his completion percentage at Duke, but he had a ton of drops at Duke. I believe it was like 39 in that last season with Duke, and I believe the percentage was higher than any of the quarterbacks in this class, the drop percentage. And more importantly for me, I'm starting to learn than just completion percentage, especially because completion percentage is so manipulated by the offensive system, is the ball placement. And you have to watch these quarterbacks to see it. And as Nick says, this is what really has me most excited so far about Jones. It's that the ball placement is there. And when you compare him, when you watch Mason Rudolph throwing behind receivers and putting the ball in bad spots, when you watch Baker Mayfield, Matt Moore struggling to hit spots, I mean, these are just the guys I saw in primetime and I had a, a chance to compare to. I'd love to have a chance to watch all 32 quarterbacks every single week on all 22. I can't do that. I don't have time for that, but that would be an even better way to do it. But just from watching Jones, comparing him to these guys, comparing him to the guys I watched in college, comparing him to Eli, I've watched him on all 22, the past, you know, 20 games of his career. And when doing this podcast and it's just so night and day uh, right now, at least. And that's a trait that really stands out to me. Nick's what Nick said, his resilience to keep coming back from these horrible 14, nothing, 17, nothing deficits where defenses are teeing off at rushing at him. You know, Nick brings up that ball to Latimer. That was an unbelievable pass by Jones. One of the best of his career so far. Like Nick said, far hash drops that ball right over the top in. But how about his second touchdown to Slate, Nick, where he is throwing from an off balance base. I mean, that is not a clean pocket. And he puts that ball right up there, back shoulder, Slate can rise catch the ball um you can tell his teammates love to play with him he really does an excellent job of putting the ball in the spot for his receiver to make a play or his first on these like shorter slants what we've seen with tate underneath and other players really really entire giants shepherd before his injury was that he puts it runner's ball out there and you know the guys can make plays after the catch so when you consider all that and the fact that you know we haven't really seen what he's fully capable of as a runner and what he's fully capable of I should say, sorry, fully capable of as a thrower on the run, something that really stood out to me when I watched his tape at Duke or when I watched the broadcast games at Duke. That's also something that stood out to Church, and I don't know if you've got a chance to do a deep dive yet into his Duke games, Nick, but maybe that's something for the offseason or something you can get around to at some point because I, I am interested to see your take on that. But really, there's still a lot to me of, from his skill set standpoint that hasn't really even fully been tapped into. So, I mean, I, I think this was a very exciting and good game for his development. Yeah, no doubt. And I actually did an evaluation on Daniel Jones. I've been meaning to dig it up. I had a, I want to say a late second round grade on Daniel Jones. I was somewhere mid second round grade from my grading system that I had coming out of the draft. But again, you're not really evaluating it on the best of angles because you don't have that all 22. Yep, exactly. And same thing for me. I mean, I had, I think I had him at 44 or 45 for me overall. So that's kind of like, you know, earlier in two, but still. I mean, I had, I, 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 you know, I had Locke ahead of him. I'll admit that I like Locke's skill set better. But again, things change when you kind of look at it from the standpoint of the system that he's joining. Because I mean, a lot of the stuff Pat Shermer is having him do, that he's finding success with, is again from the shotgun, which he was comfortable with at Duke, and really is, it, it really does mesh with what Shermer's core system is. Like, you know, you guys have heard me bash Shermer as a as a situational coach and as a play caller, and I'm not a huge fan of Shermer's. Uh, you know, ability to design game plans, but the core of his system are these mesh routes and these crossers over the middle. And that's just exactly the best ball that Jones throws. And the core of Shermer's system, in addition to those crossers, are those slot verticals, those smash routes, those, you know, and another, that's another ball that Jones throws really well. So really he fits what the Giants do. So for now, everything's working pretty well, but I want to stick on the offensive side of the ball, Nick. And it was another relatively slow game for Ingram, who we talked about a little bit earlier during the trade deadline segment. But I want to know, you know, if you thought 
Because in his first game back, I thought he was a little slow coming out of his breaks. Um, that was last week. But I didn't notice it as much on the All-22 this week. But again, I'm not seeing, you know, I didn't think he was really a huge part of the game plan. Is there any reason you can kind of pinpoint from your evaluation of the All-22 why he wasn't a bigger part of this week's game plan? I mean, there was an attempt to get him involved. He had seven targets on 41 of DJ's passes. But, I mean, I would agree overall. I want to see him utilized in a more creative fashion. There was the one play at the end of the first quarter where he released in line and went around the linebacker to the inside just to spin him totally around and go back outside, which resulted in that 18-yard gain. But the guy needs to stop dropping the football too, man. It plagued him in this game as well. I mean, I I would like to see Ingram – utilize in a way where they split him out more maybe create some mismatches on the defense depending on what the defense wants to do to cover him if the defense say decides to put a linebacker out on him he can either use his speed and athletic ability against that linebacker in space or possibly they can run the ball with Saquon into a more favorable box kind of just use him as a decoy out there on some plays obviously not all the time because he is a good player and if it's a DB still a huge mismatch use him on drags across the middle which we've right. seen throughout this year but not as much in the last two weeks I haven't seen that as much in the last two weeks and, and that could that be because he's injured Nick could be that's a very good point. But at the end of the day, when his time is called, he needs to rise to the occasion. And if he is playing injured, I mean, I commend him for that, but it's somewhat noticeable and it would explain why he hasn't been as utilized in this creative fashion, something that we thought would materialize with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley on the field, especially with Golden Tate now coming back from the suspension. But we haven't seen it. Maybe that injury is really plaguing him. Yeah, I kind of start to lean towards that, Nick, because I wonder, because, you know, I just read a stat today that Jones has been under pressure on the second most dropbacks of any quarterback since he took over as a starter in the NFL. And, you know, you saw that against Tampa Bay, and that's where they really took advantage of Ingram on those those drags. And you haven't seen these last two games, and I wonder if, you know, again, as teams continue to blitz him, because they're blitzing heavy on him, you know, is that possibly because Ingram's not fully healthy? I guess that's just something we'll find out at the end of the season, because a lot of the time these players come back and they just know that, you know, their options are either season-ending surgery or play through the injury, um, and they choose, you know— why not play through the injury? I can get the surgery in the offseason anyway, and it'll be, you know, and the, we're not talking about like ACLs or 12 month. We're talking about, you know, three month surgeries type deals. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case for Ingram, and I have no idea if it is. I just know that he's had now three injuries in the past two years, the Giants, a hamstring and two MCLs. So it's it's kind of tough. And we'll see what happens there. Um, but, Nick, I do want to kind of talk about another player I was impressed uh, on the flip side. I guess I was impressed with and I deemed him the Giants week seven MVP. Uh, I don't think he was too far off from that. But. Again, in this game, I mean, obviously, I'm going to give that to Jones. I think he was the clear-cut MVP. But I'm talking about Golden Tate. And can you, you know, I guess argue with that assessment that he's made? Or I should say this. Can you argue with the assessment that he's made pretty much a seamless transition in Shermer's system after not being allowed to practice with the team or Jones until week five? Yeah, I mean, he was targeted 10 times. So you know Jones is relying on his experience and his ability to find voids in zones, ability to create separation in and out of breaks. And it's something that Tate does. He does it from the slot. He'll do it. He can even do it from the outside. I mean, he was used on that one switch concept where he was the number two. He switched, went up the seam and ended up drawing that penalty. I believe that was later in the fourth quarter. I mean, the guy is incredibly tough. We said it last week and he does it time and time again as I like to say. And um, Golden Tate, man, that's why I didn't understand that whole trade talk with Golden Tate because he's developing this really important rapport and Tate's not somebody who necessarily slows down. He doesn't rely overly on his athletic ability. He's just quick. He's smart, knows how to run routes, knows how to create separation in and out of routes. And he's been one of the more 
valuable players on this Giants team since he returned from that suspension. How about Saquon Barkley? Because to me, he kind of stood out when I rewatched the All-22. He kind of showed more of that trademark contact balance, his ability to create yards after first contact. It was on full display in this game, I thought. I'm ready to deem him as close to 100%. What about you? And any of their notes on Barkley? Because, you know, there was his pass protection was under fire, um, and he did earn a ridiculously low pass protection grade from PFF, and it looked like an issue. What do you, what do you think about that? Is that an issue that can linger? It's just kind of like a bad game that can happen in pass pro. I just think he needs to focus more. I mean, it seems like there was at least two or three reps where he had some sort of mistake in this game. There was one that uh, I believe it was on a delay blitz and he just missed it. And then you saw, I think it was the next series or the next possession, Wayne Gallman was in on an important third down on a play where Saquon wasn't used right prior to that. So it's not like he was tired. So it's one of those things where it's like Saquon's kind of got to get his head out of his ass in that aspect of the game because he's had these mistakes. And it's something that teams, defenses have realized and they're doing these blitzes and kind of taking advantage of the Giants offensive line so you really need that running back to be on point and know his assignment saw it two weeks ago saw it this week but in terms of him running the football and his contact balance hell yeah that shit is back man I mean that one angry run where he stiff-armed the guy right to the deck I mean that was beautiful and I want to say yet another one that was somewhat similar towards the sideline and you see that burst that second third gear even that he has once he gets to that second level on that angle route he was gone if he didn't stumble and lose his balance so I'm very excited to see Barkley kind of return to his full form and hopefully he can keep being healthy throughout the rest of the season yeah, no doubt. And hopefully the Giants can find ways to get him on more of those angle routes and get Seriously. him in space in different ways. I mean, he is your guy. You took it to overall generational talent. And as far as the pass pro goes, it's interesting to me because he never had that issue uh, last year. I mean, it, he added a, a bit at the beginning, but it really didn't creep up much over time. So keeping an eye on that one, Nick. How about the offensive line? Because I thought overall this is one of their best games, specifically on the right side for me, from what I saw with Remmers and Zeitler. What'd you make of it? They gave Daniel Jones a lot of time to throw the football. They seemed like they were much more cohesive as a unit, especially Remmers and Zeitler. I saw a couple end tackle stunts and tackle end stunts where they switched pretty seamlessly, and it's really good to see that because you don't want to see your rookie quarterback getting killed. So I thought that right side held up fairly well throughout the entirety of the game. And then how about Solder and Jalapio? Yeah, uh, I have a lot of negative run and pass blocking for both of them. Uh, Solder actually graded well per PFF when it came to run blocking in that game. I think I only saw one mistake when it came to run blocking for Solder, but Jalapio had a couple. And then in pass pro, he was also backed right up. I believe that was on the Slayton touchdown pass. He was back right up into Jones's lap. Luckily, Jones was able to get rid of the ball. Saw a couple mistakes by Jalapio, just kind of not positioning himself between the gap and the player. He kind of gives leverage to the defensive player, and the defensive player gets him off balance because he's not overly strong. He's not an overly strong at the point of attack kind of player. And again, we've kind of talked, man. Remmers, Solder, Jalapio, these are players that you're looking to upgrade on, and I would say Solder especially, man, with these – it happens consecutively. I want to say I brought it up on last the last podcast, but he had two plays in a row that resulted in the fumble that Daniel Jones ended up falling on, the force fumble, and then the sack, the next play. He was beat inside and thrown to the ground, and the other one he was just backed up right into Daniel Jones. So you expect more from your starting left tackle that you paid that money to, but again, Giants fans, you don't just trade this guy away for a third-round pick, and no one was offering the farm for him. Yeah, no one's probably even offering a third for him. But on the flip side, I mean, it's interesting because the same issue with Jalapeo is the issue that we saw 
last year with Spencer Pulley and that's functional strength at the pivot. Um, the Giants really need a center on this team moving forward. It's a very high priority for me. It says almost it's almost as high as a priority as offensive tackle. It's not, but it's almost. Um, and it's way higher than wide receiver for me. I know that'll come as a shock to some of these fans um, or some people. It's way higher than defensive back for me. I think they can, at least for cornerback, I think they're going to have to try to develop those guys. I mean, Lord knows they could somehow find a deep half safety with range, which is like the most impossible thing to find besides like left tackle and quarterback, it seems like. Yes, go get one. But, you know, <laughs> who knows when that will happen. But, you know, it's definitely up there on my list of needs. Um, and so while Alapeo is playing better, I think, than Pulley played, at least from what I saw, Last year, it's tough to say because I think Hernandez was actually playing better football last year during his rookie season than he is now. So let's touch a little bit on that, Nick. Um, I haven't seen a second-year leap that I was expecting from him. I think the run blocking has been a bigger issue for him than than the pass blocking. What's going on with Hernandez? I think it's similar to Jalapio. It's positioning. They're just not getting themselves in position. And I feel like at this juncture of his career, he has to be in that ideal position to kind of drive his legs and explode through his hips and gain the best leverage on these defensive players. I feel like he will have the outside shoulder basically creating a half man for the defensive player already, and the defensive player obliges and can kind of disengage from those blocks. It's kind of evident on tape. I do love how he looks for work in pass protection. I mean, I saw that again in this game. I believe it actually result it was the play where Solder gave up a sack late in the fourth quarter. When it comes to Hernandez, I would wanted to ex- I expected to see a huge jump for him. It hasn't necessarily materialized, but I'm not down and out on the player. I still have a lot of high hope for him. I just believe he needs to kind of position himself a little bit better and use that mountain of a man of a body that he has to its full potential to drive players back and engage his entire body and open up these holes instead of just kind of attacking one half and making it easier for the defense. Yeah, and I, let, let me be clear with everyone here, and you, Nick, as well. I'm not down on him as, at all as a prospect. Okay, He's yeah. going to be a great player. For me, I think part of the issue is coaching, Nick, for a number of reasons. One, played in a power-blocking scheme at UTEP, is a power-blocking guard, and he's forced to play this inside zone, too. Giants really don't mix things up. Me and you know me and Turchin talked about this all last season. Why is it so one-dimensional, this Giants run game? Why is it always inside zone? We've seen Hernandez have success pulling every time he's had the chance to, basically, with the Giants so far in his career. And it hasn't been that many chances here because they're just running this inside zone over and over and over again. So, I mean, who's to blame for that? Is it Betcher? I mean, I'm sorry. Is it Shermer? Is it the offensive line coach? Who's to blame? I don't know. I'm going to put it on Shermer. There needs to be more diversity in this run game. It needs to be a – you watch guys like Shanahan scheme up the, the, the 49ers run game, and why can't the Giants do anything close to that? Why is the Giants run game so one-dimensional with this inside zone? I get the theory, Nick, I assume, of inside zone is that it's kind of something you keep running with, and you hope that you know, you're springing holes because you're using it so much, and I, I, and you know your guys are getting in the flow of it. But if you have a guy like Hernandez who clearly excels as a puller, put him in space. Let him locate a guy and, and, and puts add some diversity to your run game. How do you feel about that? No, I mean, I totally agree with you, especially when you consider the fact that you have Saquon Barkley. If you create one hole and you have Saquon run through that hole right. with Hernandez lead blocking, even Elijah Penny, who's shown success lead blocking as a fullback, even though he used to be a halfback, you give Saquon that one hole. He hits that hole. And he can explode through, and that's just a huge gain right there. Because knock on Saquon coming out, and it hasn't necessarily reared its head, is the fact that 
in the inside zone, he may second guess. And that sometimes sees him bounce things to the outside, which we've seen before. But at the same time, I can't really blame him because some of the blocking on this inside zone has been abysmal. The fact that they're not adjusting to more power schemes, I wonder if they even have a lot of it in their playbook, is kind of yeah an indictment on Shermer, who is traditionally one of the more inside zone running coaches that is in the NFL. I would definitely like to see a bit more diversity in the run game, outside, inside, any kind of power, to especially maximize. Sorry about a little bit of technical difficulty, guys, there. But, yeah, I guess I just got too excited listening to maybe the possibility of some diversity in this run game. But, yeah, I mean, Nick, it comes back to me with what I've been what we've been talking about. I just think, you know, you're looking at a lot, a lot of things piling up here. No diversity in the run game, not using Saquon Barkley in one on one matchups and, and, you know, isolating him against in favorable matchups, not isolating Ingram in enough favorable matchups. And they pile up here and you add the questionable clock management, situational coaching, usage of challenges. It's it's a lot. It's a lot here. Um, and, you know, just going to have to trudge on because Shermer's not going anywhere. So hopefully he gets better. And like Nick suggested on the last podcast, and I'm totally on board with, maybe it's time after this season where the Giants have a little sit down with him and say, it's time to hand over the offense to someone else to call the plays. Uh, Yeah, I, I think I could work with what we gave. Okay. All right. That's yeah. fine. All right. Um, all right, Nick, let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball. Did the All-22 give you a better look in your mind of what issues plagued the Giants on third downs in pass coverage? Yeah. I mean, when you look at the all 22 and some of the stats as well, I mean, this pre-snap motion, putting the Giants in these terrible situations, which led to a lot of these miscommunications. I mean, the Giants right now on third down ranked 21st in the NFL. And this past Sunday's game versus the Lions was even worse. They had a 57% conversion rate on third down. And according to Sharp Football Stats, I was looking at some of his statistics the Giants defense have faced 51 third and long situations that's third and six plus this season and they've allowed 23 conversions for a rate of 45 percent that's pretty abysmal man and the Giants defense this game was eight for 13 third down efficiency and outside of the two plays well where the Giants or where the Lions there was two, uh, two third and 17s and a third and 14 and then a third and five which were the conversions that the Giants held strong on. But that third and five, man, that was an easy missed opportunity by right. Matt Stafford in that soft zone. Hawkinson was right at the sticks, just waiting for the ball. Instead, he checks it down to the running back, man. I mean, the Giants in this game surrendered two third and sevens, two third and eights, two third and twos, one being the touchdown, a third and nine, and then the third and 15 touchdown on that slot vertical to Marvin Hall. I mean, Haley gave up three of those conversions, one on a slant inside where he was very hesitant to attack Amendola while giving him so much cushion. The other was a similar instance with Amendola. When Amendola went to the flat, broke outside, Haley just can't handle his quickness. He couldn't stay in phase, and it was another one on third and eight against Danny Amendola. I believe that was the first quarter when Amendola was the number two receiver, and he just basically sticks a hard outside jab foot, gets Haley turned all the way around. And we talk about this, man. We love Haley. Love his aggressiveness, physicality in the run game, yada, yada, yada. The liability in the pass, man. He's get surrendered the most yards from the slot cornerback position with 353. And the Giants as a team in 2019, according to Pro Football Focus's coverage met- metric, ranked 29th. And they're 29th in completion percentage. They give up 
27th in opponents passer rating 104.4 and 30th in yards per pass attempt surrendering 8.5 yards and this has just been an issue with this team I mean they've had issues with pattern match with banjo coverage all stemming from a lack of cohesion and just a lack of communication doesn't seem like they're all on the same page I mean it led to that touchdown by Hall seemed like DeAndre Baker was confused he bit down low on the uh, seven route, and then it was the slot vertical. Safety could not get over. Easy touchdown for the Lions, man. And it's time and time again with this defense, them just giving up these big plays and not being on the same page. And it yeah. shows in the All-22. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's tough to make what's going on. They've given up their top, their bottom three and most – or top three and most explosive plays allowed. Um, and they – you know, like I said, we talked about it on the last pod. And I think it's – you know, it's pretty – they need better coverage from the slot, and they need – better they need to somehow find a way to grab a deep field a deep field safety with range which is like again like i said it feels like the most impossible thing to do i even in the last draft class like who's even like hooker that you mentioned malik hooker on the last podcast he was an awesome prospect um and they went up in the first round to get him the colts and that was a great pick by them but and the saints have done it with williams that was a good pick by them and they got him in the middle rounds but it's very rare it feels like to get these deep field safeties um so we'll see what happens there. That's obviously a huge position of need. Um, and it is interesting to me in this game, Nick, we talked about this a little before the pod. The, the Lions used a fullback on 14 plays, and they used a tight end on tw- a second tight end on 22 plays, Jesse James. It feels like, you know, it, it's kind of felt like this way the entire time I followed this Giants team my whole life. But it feels like when def- when offenses spread them out like the Cardinals did, they're helpless when they get those, like, spread out one-on-one matchups against the second-level guys like Mayo and Ogletree. And, you know, maybe even Peppers we can throw into that or whoever's playing that matchup safety position. But, you know, when they're more in that tight personnel, the Giants are just a better football team. And the, when the Lions went tight personnel and ran the Giants, with the exception of one play that you can talk about if you want to, the, the play where we kind of like saw where you can really see the biggest deficiency in the Giants uh, in the Giants middle linebacker spot with, with Alec Ogletree. But they did a pretty good job aside from that. So what do you kind of make of that? Is that just kind of how this defense is set up? I mean, it does seem to be. I mean, the, the strength of the defense is the defensive line, especially now that you added Leonard Williams. You spread them out. They're bigger bodies. Quickness is going to win. And this Giants defense has been exposed. Look last week against the Cardinals when you do spread them out. And if you want me to touch on that play where it was tight, I mean, that was just a really bad look. They nickel, the Giants nickel blitzed Grant Haley, and the Lions were in 20 personnel on this play. And Alec Ogletree, because he knew the nickel blitz, he didn't read the blocking scheme. He fades out. This is a second and four in uh, in the first quarter, towards the beginning of the first quarter. And Alec Ogletree fades out towards the number two receiver. That's to the field. Never reads the block. Really poor blocking recognition and play recognition on Ogletree's part. But the lines just run a simple A-gap run. And for whatever reason, it seemed like Mayo – went right off the ass of Dexter Lawrence, who was at the play side three technique, and hit the B-gap following the fullback. He had his eyes on the fullback the whole time, but nobody filled the the play side A-gap. And it was Tomlinson, who was the one tech to the backside, was easily hinged away by the center and guard on a double team. But they engaged the wide receiver for whatever reason and didn't even decide to fill the hole. And it was a, only a 13-yard gain by Trey Carson, I believe, but it could have been so much more. And that play was, I mean, it just shows Ogletree just does this sometimes. He gets out of position and he has really poor play recognition. I was talking to a couple people on Twitter about it, and it showed one other time in this game where it was a split zone and he followed Hawkinson. 
post-snap on the split zone, didn't even read any of the other blockers, and just voided his run fit. Just did not execute his run fit. Luckily, that play wasn't as wasn't as uh, damning to the Giants' defense because the defensive line stepped up there. Yeah, Nick, and it's interesting. I mean, I've seen it too now more and more with Ogletree. I just feel like having converted from safety and playing the position, he's just not naturally a linebacker, and it shows up more. I watched this All-22, and it really shows up when you kind of flip the page back and look at Ryan Connolly in his role in the week when Ogletree was out and Connolly was healthy, and I believe that was the Redskins game uh, week four, and it was just such a natural fit, so much more of a natural fit than Ogletree. And his instincts at the linebacker position really stand out. He's not making those same mistakes, and those mistakes are really costly. Uh, the Giants can't really afford to have another season with Ogletree in that role. I don't think they're going to want to. I think right now they're doing it out of necessity with Connolly's injury. I think Connolly could have kept that job even if Ogletree came back. Uh, I think Ogletree would have played a role. He would have played some snaps where you know Buchanan's playing now or where Mayo's playing, but I don't think that you know, he would have taken that rollback from Connolly because it really shows up night and day. How about uh, DeAndre Baker in this game, Nick? Because I want to transition to him. He was the Giants' third lowest-graded player per pro football focus, just ahead of Bethea and uh, Michael Thomas. What did you make of B- Baker's game? Because he had been trending upward, uh, at least prior to this game. Yeah, it's funny because I thought he had a good game before I turned on the All-22. I was excited to see what exactly happened. And while he did stay on in phase down the field and make a couple good plays, reading, reacting, attacking, but planting and driving on a lot of those routes. He showed good eye discipline in that facet of the game, but he still makes errors on the back end that result in huge plays and touchdowns. Like I said, that third and 15 tutty against the Giants, I mean, it led to that 14 nothing lead for Detroit. That was a blown coverage on a seven-slot vertical fade that bent outside. The Giants pre-snap showed cover four, and it was a cover three. And Baker was supposed to have that outside third, and he bit up on that seven route from the number one. And that left the number two, Marvin Hall, to just blow right by him. Baker did not execute his responsibilities, and that led Thomas to chasing Hall from the middle of the field. I mean, you can't have that kind of blown coverage. Thomas, is, it's not really on him because he can't get over there. It wasn't even his responsibility. And then on a third and nine before halftime, Giants are in man coverage, and the Lions ran two pre-snap motions one was right before the snap and that one was Danny Amendola who Baker was on in this play and this created a tight grouping of receivers to the field with Amendola being outside and off the line of scrimmage and at the snap Amendola goes underneath both the receivers on a drag with Galladay running directly at Baker who had just run from across the defensive formation and barely got set because he was following Amendola before Galladay broke inside with his route. He ran directly at Baker and Baker engaged him. And that caused Michael Thomas to think that Baker was taking Galladay on this play, miscommunication. So he unhinges his hips outside, Michael Thomas. But Thomas was the one to guard Galladay on that play. And on the other side, where the catch happened, Bethay sees Amendola going underneath, sees that DeAndre Baker was not in phase with Amendola. And he goes downward towards Amendola. Baker passed Galladay off and then went after Amendola as well. So the only person who was left to guard Galladay on that play was Michael Thomas, whose hips were already pointed outside because he thought Baker was taking Galladay. But then Thomas realized, oh, shit, that's my guy, flips his hips outside, easy first down conversion. None of the guys are on the same page. DeAndre Baker couldn't stay in phase, couldn't get to his assignment, which was Amendola, which created a void in the defense. Bethay had to come up, and then Thomas thought Baker had the guy, and he kind of just ends up confusing both the safeties. But it was just one of those things where Baker was a little bit out of position, did not react 
timely manner, and it was excellently schemed by the Lions offense to kind of put Baker in a pretty shitty spot to cover that drag from up high with Galladay running directly at him and it confused both guys on the back ends. Just can't have these kind of problems. Hashtag pattern match problems. Just another microcosm of this defense not being on the same page and being heavily affected by this pre-snap movement and just an overall understanding of their assignments. Yeah, and then, you know, that's kind of the downside with the pattern match. Pattern match is interesting. You know, Saban uses it. Kirby Smart uses it at the, at the collegiate level. Todd Bowles has done a good job with it, obviously, um, more so at the NFL level. But, you know, when you don't, when you have a brand new, fresh, new secondary like this, that's really, besides Jenkins, hasn't played together at all, even with Jenkins. I mean, who has he played with on this, in the secondary? He hasn't played with Baker much. He has played a little bit with Grant Haley, but Haley is a liability, so does that really matter? He hasn't played with Bethea. Jabril Peppers has not played with him. These are just new guys in there for the Giants in the defensive backfield. And, you know, I'd love if there was time. I don't have time for it, Nick, but I really wish there was time for me to take a look around the NFL at other secondaries who are experience the same, experiencing the same kind of complete overhaul from a personnel standpoint. And then I want to kind of compare it to their defensive systems. And if it's a problem with, you know, Betcher's system being too complicated, too much pattern match, too much th- concepts that they're not used to, or if it's just how it goes for defenses who have brand new young secondaries trying to get on the same page and communication. Um, I bet it's a little bit of both because like you said, there's a lot of passing off in this defense and that's kind of maybe, you know, leads to some of these communication problems, but either way it has to get cleaned up. They lost the game giants for a few key reasons. And one of the key reasons was their breakdowns and pass coverage on third and longs. It wasn't the only reason the coaching played a factor for sure. That funky turnover uh, lateral played a huge factor, but that was the, probably the biggest one. Um, and it's been their Achilles heel this entire season. So We'll see if adding Williams can help that. We'll see if maybe these guys playing more together will help that. But I did want to give a shout-out here to Julian Love, number 24 for the Giants, who played two snaps uh, this game at at safety. Uh, at least he was charted at safety. Nick, what did you see from his two snaps? Anything to note or just good on you for getting on the field? Just good on you for getting on the field. I remember I was watching the game, and literally he was the outside the cornerback. <laughs> and I saw 24, and I was like, 24? I was like, no shit? It happened? And I was yeah. like, it happened. But yeah, that was where the two snaps that he played. Yep. And then on the flip side, how about BJ Hill and Lorenzo Carter? They were the two Giants' highest graded players for pro football focus. Did you agree with that assessment when you watched the All-22? Yeah, so I thought BJ Hill, he was effective, quick, and strong at the point of attack. There was a third down play where I want to say it was Hill and Pierre Olsen, who, or Olsen-Pierre, they both won against their guards with quick inside moves combined with rips to gain leverage and I still see interesting athletic ability from Hill overall. I mean, he has that flexible nature in his lower half that allows him to bend underneath linemen and rip through. And again, this guy is 310 pounds. I mean, I did see him miss a tackle in the hole as well, which can happen, especially when it wasn't his gap. But I'm not concerned with his functional strength or his ability to maintain gap discipline, and execute his assignments at a high rate. And as for Carter, he continues to impress me. One of my bigger concerns with Zoe was his ability to set the edge and his ability to be strong at the point of attack in the running phase of the game. And he's doing that much better this year than in his rookie season and what he did at Georgia. I mean, he hit Decker and Wagner with some interesting long arms, similar to the one that the Lions got boned on in Monday Night Football against the Packers. It seems like Carter, he's dropping his weight well. He keeps a low center of gravity. Remember, he's a tall player and he keeps his chest clean. He doesn't win every rep, but he's set some nice edges and 
boxed ball carriers back inside a bunch this season. He also continues to develop as a pass rusher. You know, that's something that we need to see a little bit more of from him. He shows that bend, that flexibility that we want to see. But I do want to see him string some more moves together, develop bigger pass rushing repertoire. But I really like what he's doing in year two. He's showing a lot of progress. And we even saw him at a snap and middle linebacker. I saw number 59, big, long, rangy number 59 looking like Zach Cunningham out there. Did you pick up on that? Yep, I did. And what was interesting, I mean, that goes, you know, that goes into the athleticism factor. And people have to understand with Carter, he came into this league as an extremely raw prospect. Everyone knew that. It's the only reason he dropped into the early third round. He was viewed by some, including myself, as a top 30 overall player because in large part of his upside and the, you know, idea that he maybe hasn't realized it. He's only now, you know, 20 games in, or 22 games Sorry, more than 22 games. What has it been? Eight and, and eight and 16, 24 games into his NFL career. And he's just in this game, essentially, got his full-time row. I mean, he played in uh, the biggest snap, uh, snap share he's played in his career, I believe, in this game. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Nick, at least percentage-wise. Um, so he's kind of finally evolving into that full-time role. And we're starting to see good things, like you said. We're starting to see improvement setting the edge. He's always had that potential capability. And we're starting to see improvement as a pass rusher. Got another sack in this game, notched some pressures. So... Definitely excited about that. I'm excited about seeing B.J. Hill in some better matchups with Lawrence and Williams next to him to kind of give him more one-on-ones. And we'll see how that kind of all shakes out moving forward, Nick. But it's that time of the show. I want to dive into some questions from the listeners. So we'll start with Jason Torres, who, who Torrance, who less of a question, I guess, but he's sounding the horn. He says, unless there's dramatic improvement, I believe the Giants need to move on from Shermer this offseason. He thinks Mike McCarthy should be the guy. Uh, he feels like he was unfairly bashed on the way out of Green Bay. He says he won a lot of games. Uh, perfect professional to help Jones. What is your take on this? I don't see the Giants moving on from Shermer unless something really, really drastic happens. It seems like they're trying to build. They don't want to become a franchise like the Browns or the Jets where they just recycle coaches over and over again. And as for McCarthy, he has had a long track record of success. Granted, he had Aaron Rodgers, but he still was the head coach. He has a Super Bowl ring, so I got to tip my cap to him there, but I don't see this happening. Yeah, I mean, for me, first of all, let's dive this dive into this one by one because anyone who's heard me talk about McCarthy and McAdoo in the past know how I feel about this, so this will be a pretty opinionated one. But uh, we'll start with Shermer. A, they're not going to move on from this offseason. They're not going to repeat this McAdoo situation. They're not a team that moves on from coaches after two years. McAdoo was a rare example. Now, it won't continue. If the Giants are a really bad team again next year in Shermer's second year with Jones, his first full season with Jones, and some of these problems start to creep into the mindset of the Giants, you know, is he mismanaging the clock? Is he making is he making poor situational decisions? Why isn't Saquon Barkley used in this role and that role? And things like that will start to creep into the management. It will happen. We've seen it happen before. The Giants have asked play uh, coaches to give up play calling duties uh, that happened with McAdoo essentially. Uh, during his final. So I think that would be the first step. But, you know, I'll agree with you, Jason, that I don't think that he's the guy. I really don't. I hate to say it. I really don't think he's the guy, but I think they're they're stuck with him. And as far as McCarthy goes, I may have to give up this podcast, Nick, if the Giants ever hire Mike McCarthy uh, to be the head coach of this franchise. Sure, he won some games and a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers and an unbelievable offensive line, but his offensive system is the worst I have 
ever evaluated. And and again, I've never specifically watched Green Bay All-22, but I've watched Ben McAdoo All-22. Way too much Ben McAdoo All-22. More than I ever want to watch for an entire— more than anyone should ever watch for a lifetime. Uh, and that offensive system, which derives from McCarthy, is the worst offensive system. It's basically just all slants and flats. There's no pre-snap motion. It's all from 11 personnel. There is, there's no bunch. There's no, there's no natural pick plays. It is the worst offensive system I've ever seen. Uh, and obviously Aaron Rodgers made it look good because he's Aaron Rodgers. But as we're starting to see now with Rodgers, it gets into a groove with his first year uh, head coach Matt Lafleur in a new offensive system, albeit with injury to his only good receiver Devontae Adams, and he has a bunch of young guys in it receiver. Um, you're kind of starting to see what he might have been capable of if he wasn't kind of hamstrung by McCarthy for all those years. But that's my take, Nick. Um, I know we, we might we may differ a bit on that one, but it is what it is. We'll move on to Young Missile the Chef. I love that Twitter handle, my man. He asks why Pat Shermer continues to aid teams with slowing down by uh, in in slowing down Saquon instead of forcing teams to stop Saquon. Saquon isn't re- isn't run around volume, which is hard to get into a rhythm, and he's great and he's a great pass catcher that isn't getting put in a lot of positions to do so. He just finishes it with new head coach question mark. It's kind of the same thing we just went over. We're not gonna the Giants are not going to ship out Pat Shermer after his second season. And yes, you're right. I don't believe Shermer maximizes Saquon to his fullest potential. And this is only a second game back from the injury. And now that they have Daniel Jones, I mean, hopefully the game plan will revolve more around that now that they kind of see that he is hundred percent healthy. I'm not going to bet on it right now because Shermer has let us down a little bit with this, but I do feel like he needs to put him and Ingram into much better positions. And again, we kind of touched on Ingram could be injured. Saquon was injured. So hopefully he does that as the season progresses. Yep, no doubt. Uh, Rosando Tapia asked, if the Giants get a top 10 pick in the 2020 draft, and they're currently 2-6, and six, potentially headed for that, um, although I do think they're going to win more games in the second half, but let's say they get it. Which prospects would you guys be satisfied with the Giants drafting? Name one at each position of offensive line, defensive end, edge, I guess linebacker inside I guess he's he's referring to here wide receiver and cornerback all right so you got to look at Georgia has Andrew Thomas and then when it comes to he's the offensive tackle for Georgia there's also a couple other offensive tackles that aren't coming to my head right now there's one from Alabama I want to say as well then you got to look at Epinesa who's an edge he's kind of similar more bigger guy I'm looking for someone a little bit more twitched up like a Chase Young but there's no way that the Giants are going to have a pick that is going to be bad enough to allow them to get Chase Young you got guys like the safety Grant Delpit from LSU if you're going to go after wide receiver which I don't suggest you have Jerry Judy from Alabama as well couple other offensive linemen. You got the Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, somebody that they may have to look at. You have Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, who's more of that overall linebacker that the Giants may really need to look at. Yeah, I mean, it's a little early for draft, but I do have some guys already pinpointed. The last guy nicknamed is the guy I've got my eye on right now for sure, and that's Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. To me, he's really just a perfect fit for what the Giants need in this defense, kind of in that safety hybrid linebacker role. I just love the way he plays Mm -hmm. linebacker. I love his athleticism, and he can drop in coverage. I think he's an awesome game-changing defensive player. And I think that Gettleman might consider going that direction. I mean, he did take Shaq Thompson uh, in the first round during his draft with the Carolina Panthers, and he is kind of moving in that direction. So he's uh, he's got my eye. I'm not as big on Grant Delfit as others at the safety position because I just don't think he can 
line up in center field. He does have some range, no doubt. But I think he's kind of best when he's moving downhill, similar to some of the safeties we've seen before him, Jamal Adams, Landon Collins, these guys, you know, Peppers even to an extent, obviously a poor man's version of it. But I'm not looking for that. If there's ever another Earl Thomas type, that's what I'm looking for for the Giants. I know I keep mentioning it. It's just so hard to find. Um, and it really is. It's just I, I haven't seen one in a while. Um, so we'll see what happens there. There was one. Kevin Byard was in a draft class recently with the Giants were in, and they just didn't get him. The Titans got him a couple picks before. I think it was the class they took Shepard. I'm not positive, but he's been just exactly what I expect him to be, a really, really good center field safety for the Titans. Makes makes a big difference on that defense. On the offensive line, you could talk about uh, Alex Leatherwood, the, the, Bama, the Bama tackle, who a lot of people mm-hmm. like for sure. I'm a Wurfs fan. Uh, I think the offensive tackle out of Iowa, Tristan Wurfs, is the guy that I've got circled. I've had him circled before the season. I've watched him play. He's just an, his former like all-state wrestler, just has awesome – I watch him play, and he's just bowling people over. I think he'd be so awesome at right tackle for the Giants, a totally awesome anchor for them there. Um, and then you got to think about but if you're moving on to center, which we've talked about as a big position, and you mentioned the offensive line here, Rosando – I think Beatas out of, out of Wisconsin uh, is really the guy you got there. But moving on for me, I think for wide receiver, I'm not going to go wide receiver here in the first round if I'm the Giants. Uh, we've talked about set length. But my guy actually, my number one guy isn't Jerry Judy, who is most people's one. My number one guy is, um, wow, sorry. I don't know why I Lamb. Him for a second. Yeah, C.D. Lamb. Because C.D. Lamb has to me what I see, which is that unbelievable DeAndre Hopkins-esque ability to and Larry Fitzgerald ask Randy Moss guys talk about all the best receivers they all pretty much have it even Odell Beckham in his prime um that ability to adjust his body in the middle of, in in midair and make unbelievable catches like that he also has that surprising burst and yards after the catch ability that you just don't think you see because he doesn't run that four three but finds a way to break away from defenders and finds a way to break away deep kind of similar to Hopkins and he will get slept on for that same reason because he's not going to run a 4-3-40. But for my money, he's the best receiver in this class, and it'll prove out. As far as corner goes, there's some guys. There's always some guys. Um, I haven't really dove deep in that position. The Giants use so many assets. I mean, like Akuda out of Ohio State, everybody loves him. But the Giants use so many assets that I, at that position, I don't see them going that direction. So it's kind of our early draft preview here. We're going to really dive deep into the draft when the time comes, Rosando. So stick with us. When the offseason rolls around, the podcast will be a ton of draft stuff. We're going to have draft guests on. Jordan Reed's going to join the show again. So expect good things, but for now, it's way too early, I think, for the draft. Um, let's get to the last question for today, though, Nick. Jim Henry asks, I get we have virtually no defensive talent, but why is everything being designed around Betcher? What has he done? Yeah, he had a slightly above-average defense in Arizona. To be fair, Jim, it was top six. This is the editor's note. To be fair, it was top six three seasons in a row. I guess that's better than – to me, that's better than slightly above average. Um, but he says, I thought he was supposed to be a blitz guru, guru and we're not getting enough pressure. By the way, the Giants have actually gotten a good amount of pressure this season. I don't know. I I don't. Pressure hasn't been the issue. I don't necessarily think that the Giants' pressure has been the gigantic issue. It's more the coverage on the back end, but they're they're interrelated as a defense. Yeah, the pressure is. I'm I'm not saying it's elite, Nick, but it's not as bad, nearly as bad to me as it was last season. I believe they are actually getting some pressure on plays versus last year where they weren't. Um, uh, so, I mean, to me, it's it's getting there, and I think both Golden and Carter have played a good role in that, and Lawrence as well. Hopefully Williams will. But I guess I guess what are, what are your take on that? No, I, I agree with you, and I think bringing in Williams is going to help generate even more interior pressure, and I feel like we've gotten – I feel like the Giants have gotten more interior pressure than we even expected 
coming into the season, especially as a whole fan base, because everyone was just pegging Dexter Lawrence as being somebody you can't generate that. But he did that at Clemson. Right. He's doing that in the NFL right now. No doubt. Okay, cool. On that note, guys, we're going to head out. I mean, this was obviously our longest one yet uh, with me and Nick, with me and Nick Filato, the new show. It, it was going to always be that way. We knew it. We wanted to really dive deep into Leonard Williams. So hopefully you appreciated that. Hopefully you appreciated the All-22. Again, if you, the only thing we ask for if you do like the show is to share it with your friends. Um, tell all your Giants fan friends that watch this. Tell your family. Give us a rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the pod. Download it. That's all we'll ever ask from you guys. And we really appreciate your support and the interaction we've gotten from you guys on Twitter and you know constantly uh, following and, and, and keeping up with the show because we're expecting big things as we move forward, especially into the offseason as we build. So thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys after the Cowboys game. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com